Hey, so if you have a Bible, if you don't and you need one, um, there's this little uh, coffee table thing back there. We've got Bibles, and I would love for you to have one, especially today, because we're going to flip around. Um, we're going we're gonna to hit a few different places. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to go to Ruth chapter 1, and we're going to chunk off an amazing amount of more verses of Ruth today. We're going to hit three whole verses. <laughs> Four whole verses. I know we're really making headway. So, if uh, if you if you don't know a little bit about what's going on, we're in this little book called Ruth. It was written. It's a story that takes place probably about three thousand years ago, during the time of the judges. And the judges is the book right before Ruth. So if you hit Judges, you're close. Um, and this particular story, if you were to zoom in on the book of, uh, on this particular story that takes place in this 400 year time span known as the Judges, um, it's a pretty crazy story. And it's a pretty crazy time. And if you missed the last two weeks, you can catch those online. But the story centers around uh, a few widows, two specifically. Last week there were three. This week there are two. One of them got voted off. The widow island. Um, no, she chose. She chose to go. And last week, as, as you know, we talked about this this uh, choice that Naomi gave Ruth um, and Orpah. And she said, "Just go back to your people. Go back. It's way better for you there than where I'm going." And she shook Orpah. Orpah decided to go back. And we talked about how we couldn't blame Orpah. It was actually probably the pretty practical choice. It was probably the most pragmatic choice. And we talked about how faith sometimes isn't practical and it isn't very pragmatic. And uh, honestly, that's the faith that God calls us to. And so today we're going to look at this story as Naomi and Ruth make their way back to Bethlehem. It's about a 10-day walk from where they were to Bethlehem. Know that they are two very vulnerable females on this road. It's not good to travel alone. It's not good to travel as a female. So there's two females traveling alone. And it's a story about Naomi right now. Naomi really at one of the lowest points of her life. She's lost her husband. She's lost her two sons. And, it's, and really, I mean, the, the way culture went, um, if she didn't starve to death, it was a happy ending. And that's just how it would go. I mean, she had no one to take care of her. She had nobody to lean on. You know, when we talk about, uh, many times in churches, we, we, we use the, the name Job to talk about hard times. And people say, man, I feel like Job right now. or It just feels like this is a season like Job had. Actually, I think Naomi had it worse. You know, except for the boils. The boils would have really bothered me. But um, Naomi, in some ways, if you compare Job and Naomi, Job, at least he was a man. And I don't say that chauvinistically, but I'm saying back in those days, that it was, if he could just get his health back, he could quickly start accumulating his wealth back. But Naomi was a female. 
Not only that, she didn't have a chance to have kids anymore. She didn't have a, the possibility of having her own heir. Her sons are gone. Job could have remarried and had children. Job still had legal rights. Naomi had no legal rights. She had no one to speak for her. And when she returns to Bethlehem, she, she speaks some very powerful words that we'll get into here. She's a widow. And the Hebrew word for widow has a couple different root words in it. The first one means to be forsaken. And the second one means to be silenced. And Ruth doesn't really have a voice. Her needs are not being met. And now she's walking back into a community that she left more than a decade ago. She left this community more than a decade ago because her husband felt the move to Moab would be better for them. And she laments that she left full and she's coming back empty. That she left with everything and she's coming back with nothing. And this move back to Bethlehem is actually kind of a scary move. It's the only place she has, though. Because this move back to Bethlehem means that, that some relative somewhere could actually step in, uh, claim her, uh, make her uh, his husband, or I mean, make her his wife, and then claim all the, the, the assets that she would have of Elimelech. That might include Ruth. Now, if you were to pick any society in the ancient Near East, this was a difficult spot to be in for a woman, for a widow. And we're actually going to begin, we're going to learn the responsibility of us as a community of people to, to have the heart, to have a heart for the taken advantage of in the weeks to come. Okay, that, that story is coming. That conversation is going to happen. But today, we're going to look at these two women as they walk back into Bethlehem. So if you have your Bible, chapter 1, verse 19, it says this. So the two women went on. Now how this would work was Naomi would walk in front. Ruth would follow behind her as her, um, as not, not just like her property, but as someone who was, uh, she was responsible for to Naomi. And so she was following her. Until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, can this be Naomi? And we're going to stop there for a second. I mean, this whole town, okay, they're, they're, this was news, right? This was news to the town. And so there was a lot of chatter. There was a lot of, hey, did you see who that was? And, and there's just probably kind of like everybody stopped what they're doing to see what was going on. And, and probably the news spread through the town like, like Twitter, right? I mean, I'm sure people were like, who is that? And, and they ask the question, I love the question, they say, can this be Naomi? I mean, they're probably looking at this woman who is probably malnourished, exhausted, in mourning. It, it just, I mean, you know what I learned? I actually learned this about maybe six, eight months ago. Never tell a woman she looks tired. If you ever, don't, don't ever, hey, you look tired. 
do it. Guys, don't do it. They don't hear what you're saying like you're saying it. They're, they actually are offended by it. Anyhow, so, so Naomi walks into the town, and they're like, can this be her? Can this be Naomi? I mean, this doesn't look like Naomi. Why? Because she didn't leave with a Moabite woman. She left with a husband and two sons. This can't be Naomi. This isn't the Naomi we know. Can you imagine that conversation? Is this worn out woman, Naomi? She was not recognizable. She wasn't the same. In verse 20, she says, don't call me Naomi. Her name means sweet or pleasant. Just don't call me that. Call me Mara. Because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Call me bitter. Don't call me pleasant. Call me bitter. They're like, oh, okay. And you know, the, the beauty is of the story that no one actually calls her bitter. No one actually calls her Mara. They're actually pretty gracious to her. And they don't call her that. At least we don't hear that in the story. She went away one way, and she came back totally different. She went away full, and she came back empty. I mean, in our culture today, this is a this is the time for a tattoo. <laughs> I mean, it really is. I mean, this is. I mean, if tattoos have stories, I mean, this would be a great time for Naomi. Just put Mara somewhere. It's a very bitter time. But what's interesting is the words she's saying to the people. We don't get it. We don't understand what Mara means, what Naomi, we don't, we don't really understand what these words mean. But the people do. Because when she says these words, what is being said is more than just her own personal experience. What she is saying is something so deeply entrenched in Jewish culture that once she said the word, it triggered a story. It triggered a story for the people of Bethlehem who were still stirring about, who is this? Is this Naomi? Is this? They, they were kind of like blown away by the fact that the Naomi they knew left came back looking like this in this state no husband no sons but the words she used are triggers because if you were a Jew and you heard the words she said it would remind you specifically of a story in Exodus now we know the story of the Exodus right I mean we've got Charlton Heston leading the people of Israel uh, out of Egypt. We have the 10 plagues. We have Pharaoh agreeing to let the people go after that final plague. And then changes his mind and saying, wait a second, I don't want to build pyramids. I want other people to do it. And so he gets his army, his whole army together, the most powerful army that we know of at the time. And he sends off after the people who are walking towards a huge 
body of water unknowingly. Charlton Heston is taking them to the Reed Sea. We know what the Red Sea. And the journey they're on, they're just just not even sure, they're not even really prepared for this journey. They're they're leaving home, what's been home for generations, 400 years, okay, that the people have been in uh, Egypt, and they really don't know what life is like outside of Egypt. They don't know what they're getting into. Then Pharaoh changes his mind, sends after him, um, and then they see the army coming, the people of Israel. They see the army coming, and they start to blame Moses. They say things like, we actually wanted to stay. It would have been better for us to stay. Because at least by the end of the day, we'd still be alive. You know the story, the army gets trapped. The people make it to the other side. There's no more threat of this Egyptian army. And then Moses and Miriam, what's recorded in the beginning of Exodus 15, are two songs, one by Moses, one by Miriam. And then we get to Exodus chapter 15, verse 22. And see if you can hear the words of Naomi here. Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea. And they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Mara, they could not drink the water of Mara because it was bitter. Therefore it was named Mara. And the people grumbled against Moses saying, what shall we drink? And he cried to the Lord and the Lord showed him a log or a tree. And he threw it into the water and the water became Pleasant. Catching any words there? So when Naomi comes ripping back into Bethlehem and she says, Don't call me sweet. Don't call me pleasant. Call me bitter. What she's actually doing is she's she's actually saying, I'm actually going the other direction. I'm actually the, the antithesis of the story in Exodus 15. I was known as sweet and pleasant, and now I'm bitter. It says, there the Lord made for them a statute and a a rule. And there he tested them, saying, if you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God, and do that which is right in his eyes, and give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord your healer. Then he came to. Then they came to Elam, where they were, uh, where there were twelve springs of water and seventy palm strings, and they encamped there by the water. So it's interesting to me that Naomi, as she's on her journey and she steps foot back in Bethlehem, accesses this story out of Exodus. She accesses this story and she says, "I'm now bitter." I went the other way. And God did this to me. God put this in my life. She goes on to say, and this is a really interesting sentence. She goes on to say, why call me Naomi? 
the Lord has afflicted me. And I'm sure, like, just see how this is working out. All she has left in her life, all she has left in her life is Ruth. Who Ruth, just this last week, we talked about how Ruth just pledged this oath to her that, that where you go, I'll go. Where your people are, they'll be my people. Where you, your God is my God. And, and even after you die, I'm going to stay close and I'm going to die where you die. Now that's an oath, right? And she actually finishes the oath by saying, if I don't live up to this oath, may there be a curse on me. That's bigger than a pinky square. Right? And so she comes back into Bethlehem. She's like, don't call me Naomi. Call me bitter. The Lord has afflicted me. And Ruth standing next to her probably going, well, thanks a lot. And then she goes on. She says, the Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. Ruth's like, I'm here. At least I'm here. Right? But, you know, Ruth really doesn't have anything to say in these verses. This is Naomi. Now what we know, if, we've, if you've read ahead, is something's coming. Something really is coming. This series is called Redemption. And in order to experience redemption, you have to experience loss. And heartbreak and pain. Something's coming for Naomi. And we know it's coming for Naomi. But think about Naomi at this moment. She's got nothing. Now for us, we could say, hey Naomi, you have no idea what is, what is going to be tossed into the water. You have no idea what's going to be coming, what's going to get tossed into your life. If you, if you thought your life was over, if you thought your life was crushed and your dreams were dashed and the hurts and the tragedy and all this that you're experiencing, if you think this is the end, it's not. I'm going to make this sweet again. God's going to make this sweet again. We know this because we see the story coming. What's interesting for us is we also have trigger words out of Exodus, and we'll get to those here in a second. But Exodus 15, 26, there's this interesting usage of the word the Lord. And if you, if you didn't catch that before, Exodus chapter 15, verse 26, it says this. If you will diligently listen to the Lord your God, um, and it goes on, it says, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord your healer. This is an interesting, it's used 61 times in the Old Testament. It's an interesting word for God. Jehovah Rapha. Jehovah Rapha. Jehovah Rapha, some people call it. But if you want to be kind of a kuna matata about it, you say Jehovah Rapha, right? Jehovah Rapha. Rapha means to heal the Lord who cures, the Lord who heals, the Lord who restores. That's this God. That's how God chooses to reveal himself to the people. That he says, this is my nature. This is who I am. This is what I do. I am the Lord, the healer. 
Jehovah Rapha. I have bigger plans, really. I have bigger plans than to just hydrate you, people of Israel. Three days ago, I opened and closed a sea for you. And now you're freaking out. Now you're throwing the fit. Now you're wishing you were back in Egypt. I opened and parted a sea for you three days ago. I have bigger plans than just to hydrate you. I, I actually, I want to heal this water. I'm just healing this water, but I, I want to heal you. I want to restore you. I want to make you whole. And the question is, the bigger plans that God has for us, do, do we want to co cooperate with those? Do we really want to cooperate with those? Or are we like the people of Israel... And once a difficult time hits, do we want to just throw our hands up? I mean, we can understand Naomi, right? I mean, I get that. Like, I can't imagine that. But for the people of Israel, here they are. It's like the first stop in a long journey. It's this first moment in a long journey. It's this, for Naomi, it's the first chapter of an unfolding story. And although her life to this point has been long, this is just chapter one of Ruth. And for some of us, you may think to yourself, well, I've, I've screwed up most of my life, and I've, I haven't really lived into this, and I don't really feel like God's with me, but this might still be chapter one. And I know we're taking a long time to get through chapter one, but trust me, chapter two and three and four are just phenomenal. And for many of us in our lives, we think to ourselves, it should be a progression in my life, right? I should be done with all this stuff. I should be done with these tough choices. I should be done with people treating me like this. I should be done with how things I think should be going not turning out that way. I should be done with it. I'm such and such age, and it should be all done. But you might still be in chapter one. You think your life is done, you think your life is finished, but just wait. Just watch what Jehovah Rapha throws into the water. He says, I intend to heal. It is my nature to heal. It's my nature to restore. We got this beautiful picture of Jesus. And he meets with a woman at a well, a Samaritan woman at a well. And it's a scandalous moment, and, and we don't have time to get into all of it. But there's this back and forth between this woman, this Samaritan woman, and Jesus. And she's very intelligent, but she's got a really hard life shell. She's <laughs> pretty tough. She's pretty street smart. She's seen it all. She's even pretty familiar with the Samaritan version of following uh, God and, and the Jewish version and how they differ. They differ. And Jesus said, man, if you only knew who I am, if, if you only knew that Jehovah Rapha is sitting with you at the well right now, you'd be asking me for something way deeper than what we're talking about here. And so we go back to this Exodus story, which I find so interesting that Naomi uh, uh, alludes to. I think it's really interesting for us you know, 3,000 years later, okay, to have trigger words that are in this story for us. 
And then I don't know if you caught it, but we're just going to, you know, it's a small group today, so I'm going to throw out some questions. What are some things in this story that you go, hmm, that's kind of interesting? I'm talking like uh, uh, mental pictures and, and, and numbers and things like that, that for some of us who live on the other side of the res resurrection might go, oh, that's interesting. The first one, let me just ask you this. How long were they without water? Anybody? Three days. It's an interesting number, isn't it? It's an interesting number when we look at the disciples and, and, their, and their difficult time between Jesus' death and resurrection. Here the disciples have left home, left jobs, left family, given everything they have to following this, this Jesus, this Messiah. And I don't think any of us would really understand the depth of their soul on Saturday. And this longing and this, this brokenness. And when we, we hear three days, we actually, actually, that's a trigger for us. That's actually like, a, oh man, I've heard three days before. Where did I hear it? Oh yeah, there. Now you might be thinking, well, that's just a coincidence, right? That's just, that's just a weird coincidence. Well, maybe... But I think that God is an image God. And I think God uses things to, to trigger things for us. The second thing I think is really powerful is this story is they throw a tree into the water. Throw, it says in my version a log, but in others it says a tree. And, and I think that some of us might sit here and go, well, that's really, that's really weird, right? I mean, it, that is really strange. Have you ever heard of this working? I mean, this sounds really miraculous, and I know that there's probably some scientists in the room and some skeptics that go, well, there's probably a tree somewhere that changes the pH of the, you know, whatever. <laughs> sure, you can go down that road and think about that. But what's interesting is how strange this is. I mean, really, how strange this is. Moses, throw this tree into this pond, and it won't be there anymore. He does it. He obeys and throws a tree. It makes no sense, right? It makes no sense. I mean, the choice to throw a tree into the, into the pond is just, it's just kind of crazy. It's kind of goofy. And it works. But what's interesting is the word, the image of a tree. In Genesis, we have the image of a tree in the garden. And then we have the image of the cross. The prophets and scholars have talked about, many, many use the word, the image of a tree. Our Savior hung on a tree. And this idea of this trees, this, this brutal, violent uh, act that has become a symbol for healing for us. For us New Testament Christians, for us on this side of resurrection, we actually can read this story and say, okay, three days in a tree. Wow. Three days in a tree. If you've really, and some of you are probably in this mode right now, but there's this real illogical idea of what the cross 
means. I mean, really. One guy on a cross dying, how does that affect me? I mean, it, it almost seems as illogical as throwing a tree into the water and making it drinkable. And someone's going to show me how that works. Someone's got to show me how this works. I mean, how, how does the, the cross uh, work? How does that, uh, that, that act, that event, if it actually happened 2,000 years ago, how does that work? To make all this I'm swimming in pleasant again. Someone might say, and someone has said to me, You have to explain this to me before I'm going to believe it. You have to, you have to, you have to really explain this before me before I believe it because it doesn't sound very logical. How one guy dying on a cross could fix me, could save me, could heal me. You have to explain that. I can't explain it. I can't. In fact, you. You won't get an explanation that'll probably satisfy here. It's it's something you just have to experience. It's something you just have to obey and trust. And you might say, "No, I refuse to do it." You have to explain it before I do it. And I'm just saying you have to do it before it's going to make sense. That's the faith part. That's the trust part. You know, a lot of people will try to make this into a formula. It's not a formula. A lot of us in this room believe that it happened. We like to bow before the cross, but we have a hard time picking it up and throwing it right in the middle of our lake. Picking it up, picking up this tree and throwing it right in the middle of our lives. That's difficult to do. That's hard to do. That's almost illogical to do. And yet that's what faith is, and that's what this moment is. You have to do it before you understand it. And after you see the result, you'll be explaining it. You'll be trying to explain it. It's kind of like this last week, for the second year in a row, I've been trying to learn how to wake surf behind a boat. And it's this, um, it's just, the boat's going slow, it's a big wake, um, you got a rope, you pop up, and, you're, and you try to get to the point where you can you just let go of the rope and just surf behind the wake. And I did it for about 10 seconds. <laughs> it was awesome. And it's so funny because there's people on the back of the boat. You're so close to the people on the back of the boat. And they're trying to explain you. Now do this. Now do that. Now lean this way. And do this. And, do, and until you actually do it, you don't know what they're talking about. And you can watch them do it. And you can want that. But until you actually do it, you don't know what they're saying. You don't know what that means. And that's what I'm trying to explain to you here. This is this illogical, crazy idea where the people of Israel actually experienced a miracle of God's
telling them to throw a tree into the water and they could drink it. And yet at the same time, some of us have this bitter muck and water we're living in, and we're just like, okay, God, do something. And he says, I have. Throw it in. Throw it in. Is it going to change your circumstances? Is you going to get healthier? Are you going to get wealthier? No. But there's a healing that begins. There's a restoration that begins. And I think it's really interesting that all the people that Jesus talked to along the road, all the people that Jesus begged to come and follow him, he didn't guilt them, he didn't shame them, he just offered and he said at one point, he says, I didn't come for the healthy, I came for the sick. I didn't come for the religiously capable. I came for those who were incapable. I came for those who had no more rope. I came for Naomi. I came for Mara. I came for you. It says in verse 22 of Ruth, chapter 1. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite. They just kept to keep throwing in the Moabite, right? Her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem, arriving in the place that's called House of Bread, as the barley harvest was beginning. There's a glimmer of hope here for her. And I think for all of us, there's a glimmer and we see these things unfold in people's lives and we tell stories and we see what God has done in each other's lives. And then there's these moments where we find ourselves in the middle of our own bitter lake, our own bitter body of water. And we're supposed to be a community that points to this, that yearns for this that rallies people around this, that, that dreams for this, for the people in our lives, for each other. We're, to be honest, we're, we're really supposed to be the people that help uh, walk people in with, with people in their bitterness. I mean, wouldn't it be great if we could just go, hey, listen, I am bitter right now. I mean, can you imagine that conversation at church? Walk up, how you doing? I'm bitter. <laughs> I'm supposed to just get fine from you. No, I'm bitter. I'm pretty angry. I'm done. I went away full and I came back empty. I thought this was going to work out and it didn't. I thought this marriage was going to work out and it didn't. I thought this, my children were going to turn out like they and it didn't. I, I thought my career was going to go how it did. It's not. I would just walk up to each other and say, yeah, I'm bitter. I mean, in some ways, uh, it would be like, <laughs> I'm your small group's worst nightmare. I am bitter. <laughs> Deal with that, right? And, and sometimes we're driving to church, right? Some of you are driving to church and you're like, oh, I gotta be smiley. Um, I gotta be smiley when I walk in. We all have that feel, right? Like, I wanna pretend like it's not, you know? I'll just be honest, for the last number of weeks, it's been, I've been really, it's hard. We're just dealing with a lot of um, 
a little bit of discouragement and disappointment, um, saying, saying goodbye to the Millers and just some other things that are unfolding in the life of our church. And I'm just like, And I'm not really good at hiding it either. If you've noticed. Don't, don't try to hide it. See, we have a word for that when you try to hide it. It starts with an H and it ends with an hypocrite. <laughs> See, religion is packed full of people who act in, they, they act like they're happy when they're not. There's something beautiful about Naomi, right? Something really cool about, I really like Naomi. I really like her. She's not real churchy. You know? She's not really like, everything's fine. You know, she could have said things like, oh, well, he was a dirt ball anyway. I'm glad he died. Or, or you know, none of those things happen. Then you have people who say, you know, I'm really glad I went through this tough time in my life. I felt like God was so close, so real during this tough time. And there's great stories like that. But I think some of us would rather not have those. It kind of glorifies these really difficult times we go through. Naomi was just like, I'm bitter. And someone could have come up to Naomi and go, look, Naomi, just praise the Lord. Just praise the Lord in your bitterness. Naomi punches her. That would be my version. That would be my version of the Old Testament, right? Someone comes to the door and says, Naomi, everything happens for a reason. Really? So, my husband and son's dying. That was, there's a reason there. Or, hey, Naomi, you know, God closed the door for you. But I think he's about to open a window. <laughs> Three doors. She's probably like, I'm ready for this to be over. And maybe some of you are too. Ready for this to be over. The church, coming to church, let me just say this, coming to church semi-regularly or even regularly won't change you. It won't change you. You have to make the choice to throw the tree into the water. You have to make it. You can't just check a box. You have to make the choice to, to absolutely, totally believe in the illogical, uh, crazy uh, idea that one man, one man, God man, fully God, fully human, came to this earth to die for me and you, suffered on a cross, and you have to throw that into your water. Completely. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15 is this really great verse. And it just, I'm not going to read it. It just talks about not letting bitterness come in. And how when we see it, 
we don't pretend like it's not there, and we don't put the happy face on, but we actually, as a community, we, we look out for each other, and we, we lean in on that bitterness, and we help root it out together. And so often, I've noticed as a pastor, when people go through really bitter times, when, when couples are struggling in their marriage, when uh, things aren't going well with health, or someone's lost a loved one, and they, they, they vanish, they leave the community. They hide out, they, they run, they, they pull away. Or they go to a, let's just be honest, <laughs> be honest because we're a small church, they go to a bigger church where they can not be noticed and not be known. I know Jordan McCaslin across the street, Red Rocks Church. I don't know if you notice this. There's this enormous church, like, right there. Fifth fastest growing church in the country. You're all like, what am I doing here for? Um, but no, it's just to be honest with you. They're right across this church. I know Jordan McCaslin. He's the campus pastor there. Him and I sat down for coffee. He's like, the hardest thing we have is that we have so many people coming to our church from other churches, and I can't get them to come out of hiding. We're hiders. Whether you're a big church or a small church, whether you come once a month or once, uh, once a week, we're hiders. We're bitter. We're hurting. And Jesus says, I have an antidote. It's not going to make tomorrow feel better. It's not going to, but there's something coming. And there's something coming in the story for Naomi. We know what it is. But something's coming for us. And we actually also know what that is. And yet here we are. And so this morning, I don't know where this finds you. Um, I don't know uh, if you're resonating with Naomi, Ruth. But for us as a community, would we take up the challenge again of leaning into our bitterness, being honest with it, the disappointments in our life, and seeing the cross as one of those, one of that moment in history when even though we experience pain and suffering and heartbreak right now, that God is wanting to do something with our pain. Something. In us, through us, for us, for others. And for those of us in this room who never experienced what it's like to have that faith to just put the cross in our life, maybe this morning's your morning. Let me pray. Heavenly Father.